We need to talk more about our place in the biosphere and how to best protect species. It's that sort of deep engagement and passion that will survive critical challenge, that taps into our common humanity and is what will inevitably bring us together in common cause to protect biodiversity and reverse climate change. Welcome to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. You just heard Paula Ehrlich, President and CEO at E.O. Wilson Biodiversity Foundation, allude to the connection between conservation and civilization, a relationship critically highlighted in the work of the Half Earth Project. Esri Conservation Solutions Director David Gadsden investigates how technology is supporting biologist E.O. Wilson's vision of sustainable conservation across the globe. Hello, Dr. Ehrlich, and welcome to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. Hey, David. It's really nice to join you. Let's start by getting more familiar with both the E.O. Wilson Biodiversity Foundation and the Half Earth Project. Can you tell us a bit about the mission of both of these organizations and, and your role within them? The mission of the E.O. Wilson Biodiversity Foundation and our biggest initiative, the Half Earth Project, is to inspire and form collective action to save the biosphere. The E.O. Wilson Biodiversity Foundation is rooted in two core values that carry E.O. Wilson in their soul. One, scientific ambition that transforms our understanding of the world and what we need to do to care for it. And two, a moral conviction to act to protect biodiversity as one of humanity's transcendent goals. My role as president and CEO of the foundation is to provide leadership to carry forward that legacy and as co-founder of the Half Earth Project to execute on that to achieve the goal of Half Earth. Can you help us understand, you know, just at a basic level, the logic and justification of, of half? Why half? Well, the amount of species that you could protect is mathematically related to the uh, amount of habitat that can sustainably support them. So half allows us to protect at least 85% of species. But the science of the Half Earth Project is actually showing us a, a, an even deeper innovation. So remember, half-Earth, that mathematical relationship comes from an innovation called island biogeography that, that E.O. Wilson spearheaded back in the 50s. The innovation we have now through the technology we've discussed and the analysis that we're able to utilize um, with this existing species data allows us actually to test that in some ways. And we know, in fact, that for at least for known terrestrial species, um, half is exactly what we need in order to protect um, the known terrestrial species of the world. We can continue to refine that, but even more exciting, we can use that information to help us understand where to go next. Not only how well we're doing in this places we have protected, but where we have the best opportunities to protect more. And so, well, half Earth would predict that if we predict if we protect half, we'll protect the bulk of biodiversity. Our mapping at high geospatial resolutions allows us to then actually um, know uh, where we need to go in order to protect the most biodiversity. The 2019 UN report warned that one million animal and plant species are threatened with extinction. Uh, in everyday language, why is mass extinction an environmental crisis 
And what are the implications for humanity if this trend continues? You're right. One million. You know, extinction usually unfolds off stage. So these huge numbers made a big splash because they were kind of a surprise. But we're starting to pay attention for two reasons. First, when that story hit the page, it mattered because somewhere in the core of our humanity, we recognize these creatures. And when we're touched by their story, we feel extraordinary compassion, maybe even a moral conviction to act to protect them. Second, it matters because the species of our planet don't exist in isolation. If we lose species, we lose the ecosystems, the intricate web of life that sustains nature and sustains us as part of nature. The organisms that surround us have evolved over 3.8 billion years to create this exquisite and careful balance of interconnected resilience. And it's critically important that we come to know and understand this web of life, in particular because we are part of that web of life. And with ongoing species and ecosystems loss, sooner or later, our strand of that web will be cut. As we sit here today, what do you feel are some of the biggest factors that must be overcome to advance the Half Earth Initiative? Well, it's actually an interesting time because we actually know a lot more about how to prioritize places for conservation than we ever have before. We have more data, big data, at our fingertips to drive this decision-making than ever before. Most importantly, we'll succeed if we use geospatial information about species to drive the prioritization of what places we should conserve. We call these places for a happier future, places with extraordinary species richness and rarity that are currently unprotected, that are priorities for conservation. Climate change, of course, is grabbing our attention right now. And it certainly is an important source of species loss. But one of the things that E.O. Wilson has always reminded us is that if we save the living world, if we save biodiversity, the foundation of our planet, that we can also protect the non-living world we can also address climate change. And more and more as we focus on how to best protect our planet and care for ourselves in the midst of climate change, I think people are realizing more and more that um, fundamentally as a foundation, um, as the undergirding for that, we must pay attention to and protect uh, the living world, biodiversity of our planet. One of the cornerstones of your conservation efforts is mapping biodiversity of the Earth, which in many of our mapping initiatives at ESRI to look at ecological land units and various categorizations of all of the data that's now available in, in new and meaningful ways, that biodiversity data is, is severely lacking comparatively to what we can capture with satellites or other things. How do you improve and enhance mapping of biodiversity uh, globally considering the great inequalities from country to country uh, to have these capabilities? Well, if the goal is to protect the web of life for all of life to sustainably endure, then whatever our target is, where we pick to prioritize for conservation becomes particularly important. 
Um, this is because not all places are equally effective at protecting biodiversity. Each species has its own important place in the world that we need to keep in mind. So we're mapping the geospatial location of all the species of our planet at a high resolution to inform what places offer the most effective path forward for protection of endangered species and endangered ecosystems. And our hope is that the science of the Half Earth Project will transform our understanding of the world and what we need to do to care for it. The Half Earth Project map democratizes this information, gives everyone the power, the information they need to know what to do where. And we've developed indicators such as the Species Protection Index, the SPI and the SHI, so we have a way to measure our success. What our team does is species by species, we assemble available records or field observations and expert information from a range of sources. And after careful quality control, we link them up with one another to arrive at a raw data map. We then combine this information with, with a suite of near global remotely sensed layers from earth orbiting satellites and use statistical and machine learning models to make predictions one species at a time for each species geographic distribution. So for much of this species level work, we're able to leverage the map of life and infrastructure and the species expert community. This effort delivers thousands of species occurrence predictions and the associated uncertainties that we can then use in a quantitative spatial optimization process that ranks each location in the world for its relevance for safeguarding this particular set of species. And the emerging priority areas are those for which future conservation action or conversely habitat loss would have the greatest impact on supporting the survival of species and biodiversity. That sounds like a very advanced geospatial infrastructure to both in, in a precise way collect species data, but also apply modeling and AI and spatial statistics to, to fill in those gaps. What's the implication of having access to data that geospatial infrastructure that we lacked, say, 10 or 20 years ago? What, what does that mean for conservation? It's really changing our ability to understand what we need to do to protect biodiversity. You, you think about half Earth, for example, it's an ideal because the math predicts as a principle that it will allow us to save the bulk of biodiversity, right? And as a solution, it's got just the right mix of simplicity and latent power to embody hope. In that sense, it's an inspiration for whatever targets that we, we aim to achieve, such as 30 by 30. And the science of the Half Earth Project then democratizes that information. So the information that every country needs to know what to do where. Having that data allows us to truly choose where we have the best opportunity to pr protect the most species, which is, of course, the bottom line around any conservation efforts. The Half Earth Initiative is just so impressive because of the precision nature of the science. And it's, it's clear in your, in your comments that we still have so much more to learn to, to better understand the natural world around us. How do, we, how do we leverage visualization tools 
maps and other experiences to to help society better appreciate and understand humanity's role in nature? Well, you mentioned these enabling technologies. They're unlike anything we've ever had to go by, right? We've got GIS, big data science approaches, remote sensing, species distribution models, machine learning, cloud computation, web-based engagement of experts, citizen scientists, and stakeholders. When we use digital maps to inform conservation efforts, and and if they're done in a scientifically rigorous manner, they're enabling management relevant specificity at scale, right? They enable us to account for and address single species, do so at a high spatial resolution with local specificity, while also allowing us to zoom out to the whole world and take in the larger global relevance. So that's just extraordinary, right? That allows us to imagine together a global goal like half Earth. And by assembling and working with a scientific team that engages with the broader academic community to pioneer and develop the necessary scalable research solutions and carefully address the biodiversity, data and conservation science aspects required for this kind of work, Um, Models, remote sensing, and spatial analytics in particular help deliver the necessary spatial precision at a global scale. The United Nations Biodiversity Conference, the CBD COP15, is getting underway now and building a global framework for preserving global biodiversity. How is Half Earth engaged today and in the long term in that process to support global decision making around conservation? Well, during the past months, our scientific chair, Walter Yetz, has contributed to a range of discussions at the Convention on Biological Diversity, CBD, um, leading up to the recent open ended Working Group 3 meetings. The current list of proposed indicators includes several half-Earth project supported products, and the CBD published an information document prepared by us on the Species Habitat Index, which is a proposed headline indicator for Goal A, which Goal A is about ecosystem integrity. And those negotiations continue and will continue to engage in the run-up to the next set of meetings and COP15, which is now targeted for spring of 2022. The really important thing that we're contributing to these meetings and discussions are indicators of success. As we work to achieve these targets, ways of measuring our success are important so that we know whether we're getting there. And as I mentioned, the SHI measures ecosystem integrity via changes in the estimated connectivity and size and quality of species habitat. And it's closely related to the species protection index, which together highlight key facets of conservation progress at the species, taxon, and national levels. How, in, in, in simple terms, in conservation science, have we been able to go to understanding a given species dynamics and their role within an ecosystem with many other species. How is that even approached? You have hit on the next big thing. In fact, you're foreshadowing 
E.O. Wilson's next book, <laughs> which he's working on right now. Absolutely, having mapped all of the species of our planet in exquisite detail. The next big thing, of course, is to understand how those species interact and fit together to form the ecosystems that really support our ultimate resilience and in enduring lives on the planet. So Ed's writing right now about ecosystems biology, a new science and synthesis of information that truly will allow us to understand what the, how species work within ecosystems to support our lives. And there's not a lot of information around that. In fact, there, there's a, um, the hope is, and this is quintessential E.O. Wilson, that young people will be inspired to wanna to go into this sort of field. It's extraordinarily complex. Um, I think about it this way, or uh, uh, E.O. Wilson explained it to me once this way. It's like if you have a piece of paper and you have dots on the piece of paper of all the species on our planet, and then you crumple up, crumple that up. Mapping the relationship between where all those dots are now and how they work together to support the whole is an extraordinarily complex area. Um, and inevitably the next big um, vista for scientific study. That's so incredibly inspiring. I, I suspect that, that many listeners may think that we perhaps know more than we do about the natural world. Conservation science isn't new. This type of research and observation has gone on for, for forever, let's say, in, in modern human history. So how exciting that we're just beginning to have this opportunity through leadership of E.O. Wilson and others to actually begin to understand that, that web of life in a scientifically grounded way. And remember, we don't know all the species on our planet yet either. We assume that was done by Linnaeus in the olden days, but actually we've only given a name, a genus and species to 2 million of the estimated 10 million species out there. But if each one of your listeners and students out there adopted one species, we'd get it done. And then we'd have the foundation for really beginning to understand with some precision uh, the, the species of our planet and, uh, and how they engage within ecosystems. It's extraordinarily important work. It's, uh, well, it's, it's, it's the stuff of life. Paula, this has been such an education. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast, and thanks to Paula Ehrlich for explaining how geospatial technology is evolving our ability to achieve sustainable conservation. If you liked this episode, please take a moment to rate Esri and the Science of Wear podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about how location intelligence enables digital transformation and drives growth, visit esri.com forward slash location intelligence.